Hello, everybody. It's Dan Woods here at the Early Adopter Research Podcast. Today, as the first podcast in our Escape Hatch from Oracle series, we're going to talk about the practice of Java audits. As noted before in my writing, Oracle has focused its innovation as much or more on licensing and audit practices as it has on technology, which to me isn't a good thing. The, the Oracle has done a great job of creating so much good technology, but now it seems a lot of their energy is going toward how to maximize the amount of money they get from their customers through licensing. The latest episode involves the Java language in which Oracle acquired in its acquisition of Sun Microsystems. Now, Java has a runtime that is widely available and used for free most of the time, powering many software programs. Oracle also sells a licensed version of the runtime with enhanced support and security patches. Now, Oracle has long been in the business of using its leverage on software audits to encourage customers to buy more products. And it's now starting to do audits aimed at promoting sales of its Java premium version. Now, I've been covering this for quite some time. And I often talk to Craig Gorenti, CEO of Palisade Compliance, about this. Palisade Compliance is a consultancy who helps companies navigate licensing audits and negotiations with Oracles. And he's going to join me today on the Early Adopter podcast to examine this issue. So first of all, Craig, I'd like you to introduce yourself to everybody. You know, who are you? What's your background? And how did you become an expert in Oracle licensing? Well, hi, Dan. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate uh, you having me on your first show here. Um, my background is, you know, I grew up at Oracle. So I started with Oracle in 1995 uh, as a contract specialist, drafting license agreements and worked my way up through that organization uh, to the point where I left in 2011, 16 years later. And I was their global VP of contracts, business practices. I managed the compliance LMS team. Uh, so I did a few other things while I was at Oracle and then uh, left and, and started Palisade really uh, to be an independent voice to help Oracle customers. And LMS, you mean licensing uh, management? What does LMS mean again? Sure. License management services. It's their audit team. When you get that letter from Oracle, it's coming from LMS. Got it. And so for the people who aren't Oracle nerds like we are, I want to just explain the way that Oracle uses audits and licensing and how different it is from most other software companies. Oracle nerd, that's a good description here. Because um, we think about this all the time and, and we'll talk to clients and we're sort of at, at such a deep level with Oracle's contracts and licensing that we have to take a step back. Um, you know, Oracle software is, is throughout the stack. It's the database, it's the middleware, it's the applications. Now it's embedded in the hardware. So that's one thing that's different about Oracle is just they want to be an end-to-end. -end. They want everyone to have the red stack. So it makes it really difficult for customers to just stop using Oracle and to use something else. Um, you know, just you know, try to stop using Windows, right? You, you have to replace everything else uh, in your stack, maybe even your hardware. So that's the challenge with Oracle. And they embed some pretty onerous terms into their contracts to the point where even if a customer can technically move away from Oracle products, contractually, they're still paying Oracle money for stuff they're not even using, which is but, pretty amazing. But one of the really, I think, innovations is the way that Oracle has sort of imitated open source in that they've taken away prior restraint uh, from using its software. Like in the world of open source, anybody can innovate without prior restraint because they can just grab the source code and do whatever they want with it. In the world of Oracle, 
the prior restraint has been taken away from the use of the software. Unlike most software vendors, Oracle takes all of the license keys uh, off of software that it buys when it does an acquisition, and the, the Oracle software doesn't come with any license keys. You can just use it as much as you want. Isn't that, that's a real difference between Oracle and other software companies. Yeah, and that's the way they distribute their software, which again is, is innovative. And, and I was at Oracle for maybe 50 or 60 of the acquisitions that they've done. And, and I remember meeting after meeting where we would, uh, Oracle would have bought a company that had software keys and codes. And one of the first things Oracle did was remove them. Um, and often, you know, the interesting thing there is often it's the customers who wanted those keys removed, right? So they want to use more stuff from XYZ company and they didn't want to go through the contracting process. They just wanted free access and say, hey, we're gonna, if we use it, we'll pay for it. So Oracle is, is more than happy to oblige, right? So it's sort of something the customers requested, but be careful. It's one of those things, be careful what you wish for because you may get it. So then Oracle pulls all that stuff out, and now you've got uh, DBAs and technical people downloading things from the Oracle website, and they don't know what, the, what they're licensed for. They just start using the stuff because they think it's unlimited or, or it's included with what they already bought. So um, you know, that presents a real challenge for customers who are trying to manage their Oracle usage. Right, and it's far from a just trust me Oracle uh, you know, policy. Oracle is not just saying, oh, we trust you to pay us they then have an audit process. And could you explain how that audit process works and what happens? Because I want to make sure that we all understand the Oracle cycle before we talk about what's happening with Java. Sure. And I think that's great. And actually what's happening with Java is a little different. So um, it's good to have this baseline now. Uh, basically what Oracle will do is, as we said, you can download whatever you want. You can use whatever you want technically, but contractually there are limitations on what you can use. So Oracle, the LMS team we talked about before, the audit team, will send a letter to a specific Oracle customer and say, hey, uh, per our contract, we're allowed to audit you, and we're going to conduct an audit right now. And there's a back and forth and a give and take, and information is shared from client to Oracle, and Oracle will generate a position. You know, think about getting audited by the tax authorities. Uh, you get that letter from the IRS, uh, and, and now you, you've got to send them all kinds of information and they will tell you if you owe them more money. It's, it's a similar way that Oracle does it, but actually they have less restraints because they, they, they interpret their rules, a very liberal interpretation of, of what's required for licensing or not. Um, and the thing is, if you get an audit letter from Oracle, it's not an accident. You, you're, you've been targeted for an audit and Oracle thinks that there's money to be had. So, and then the idea is that it's not just the, 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 the audit where they go, okay, um, you use two extra database licenses, so what, let's, let's go to a price list and figure out how much uh, you should pay on those because almost all Oracle software is deeply discounted. And so when you then, if you did go and say, oh, I use two extra database licenses, and you went to the price list and said, okay, here's full price for those database licenses, those, those would likely be a lot more than you're paying now. So the beginning of this, so after the audit, finds that you're in violation, there's a big, big number uh, that you would have to pay to come into compliance, and that's when the negotiations begin. What happens at that stage? Yeah, so if you go through that process with Oracle without challenging them, at, at the end of the day, you're going to get what they call a final report from Oracle, and which will have you, you need to buy this many of these licenses, and, and the numbers could be a million, it could be 10 million, it could be 100 million, it could be $500 million if you would go back to the list price. And you're right, that's when you negotiate. So what Oracle will do is, through the audit, they'll throw the biggest number against the wall, $100 million, 
uh, in non-compliance. And then the sales team will say, but if you do this unlimited deal for 10 million, we'll, we'll let go of that $100 million number. We'll forget about that non-compliance. So a client looks at that and goes, well, it's either 100 million or 10 million. Boy, 10 million looks really good. And, and what they've done is not only give Oracle $10 million that they might not have had to do, but then now Oracle puts all new contracts in place and really tightens up and, and limits customers' future flexibility. So it's a, it's a double win for Oracle. They get money and then they lock you in even further. So it's an amazing strategy. And uh, Oracle's been doing it for, for many, many years. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Well, and, and it's worked so well that they actually have an acronym for it, ABC, as we've written about in other articles, Audit, Bargain, Close. And so this strategy, would you, you would say, I, I've heard you say before, that this is generally, if you're looking at this from an Oracle shareholder perspective, from one perspective, it seems to be working. Well, it, it's working because it generates a ton of money. Right. You know, I, I don't know anymore exactly how much they generate from that, but it's it's a huge revenue source for Oracle. Uh, so on the one hand, it, it's a great um, way to make money. On the other hand, you piss off a lot of customers right? by doing this. And, and the more aggressive you get with your auditing, the more frustrated your customers get with you. And there are times you, you mentioned ABC audit bargain close. We actually called it audit bargain cloud. So we've seen many, many cases where Oracle has audited customers to get them to buy cloud and, and customers have bought cloud with no intention of using it. And I think that from a shareholder perspective can be worrisome. Like how much of this cloud revenue is based on audits. Got it. And so now let's get to the Java aspect. Now that we understand the landscape here, what you're saying is that there is an audit process going on. The audit process is now looking not just at the traditional law software licenses, but is also looking at use of Java. And then what is the, you know, audit bargain Java strategy that they're developing? Oh, that's interesting. A, A, B, J. Now, um, so they're doing, they're, they're approaching Java differently right now. So they haven't fully implemented the ABC strategy with Java. Um, and it's taken them a while. You know, they, they bought Sun in what, 2009, 2008. So it's taken them about 10 years to try to monetize Java. And, and we actually haven't seen an official Oracle audit for Java. And, and I think Oracle's being really smart about this because they're not auditing customers to get them to buy Java, but they're worrying customers to get them to buy Java. I'll give you a great example. We were at a trade show um, a few months ago and we had uh, someone came up to us. And of course we asked them, you know, are you an Oracle customer? And they said, we're not an Oracle customer now, but we just saw Oracle's Java changes. And I have a feeling we're going to be a big Oracle customer very soon. So, Got it, because they felt that there was a vulnerability. Now explain, you know, the vulnerability that you would have with respect to Java. I mean, how, do, how does somebody, by using a downloaded free runtime, become vulnerable to Oracle? So here's what Oracle did, and, and they made many changes in, in how they distribute and support Java, but I'll give you one example. And this is sort of usually where the conversation ends with the client in terms of do you need to buy a supported license or not? Um, the way Oracle uh, supports Java now is a little different. It changed in, in January of this year, this month. And basically, you use a version of Java, the current version of Java. Oracle will support that version, quote unquote, for free for six months. So let's say a version came out January 1st, you have until July 1st, where you can use that version at no additional cost. After that six months, if you want support for that version, you have to pay for it. 
So in August of 2019, if you're using a version that came out in January of 2019, that's not free anymore. You have to pay for support. So customers are left with, I could either get a license from Oracle and pay for support, or I could run a version of Java for free, but it's unsupported. So if there's a hole or a patch or an update or something security-wise, they're running without that. Or I can update my version of Java every six months, and then I don't have to pay for it. I can just update it every six months, but that's a hassle in itself, trying to redo your implementation of Java every six months. So technically, it's possible to run without that license and, and to not pay Oracle. But again, brilliant strategy by Oracle. They've sort of built the rules in such a way that it really behooves a customer who's going to use Oracle Java to get a license and pay for support. I see it, but they don't have to take the hit from saying, hey, you made Java. Java was free and now it's not. They, they, they don't have to take, be, be able to be criticized for that reason because they, they can always say, no, it's still free. We, you can still use it. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think the consumers of Java are a lot smarter than that. So I think Oracle is taking that hit, but they don't care. Got this it. is going to generate billions of dollars for them. I mean, would I care if, if, if I was going to, you know, change a contract and, and now I generate, you know, billions of dollars with my pencil? No, I'm, I'm probably not. And I think the tipping point will come, you know, as more companies, uh, as Java gets forked and more companies have alternatives. Like I know AWS, Amazon came out with a version of Java recently that they say will be supported forever at no cost. So customers, you know, unlike Oracle database where they're sort of locked in and their technology is locked in, I think technically there's more wiggle room with Java and you can use open source versions of it that are still out there. Uh, but it's going to require some other firms to step up and provide that support and provide that maintenance, you know, ongoing. Well, so explain how serious a, this is a problem, or at least explain when is it a serious problem for a company and when is it not really that big of a deal? Well, again, I think it's, a, you know, we have this um, little one-sheeter on our website that folks can, you know, they, you ask five questions to determine if you need a Java license. I, I think it will become a serious problem if you are out of compliance with your license and you haven't bought that license from Oracle and, and you're using it in a non-compliant way and eventually Oracle will knock on your door and say, hey, we know you're doing this. And, and they're gonna go back, as you mentioned before, to the list fee and they're gonna find these huge um, you know, audit problems. So when companies get in trouble with Oracle, it's usually they're out of compliance Oracle puts a huge number in front of them and they negotiate down from there. But, so I think, but when, when yeah. would you uh, have gotten out of compliance? Like when, when, when is it that you have to worry about that? Well, I think people need to worry about it now, right? So the rules changed in, in June. So now if you're using a prior version and you're going onto Oracle's support website and downloading patches and updates for something that technically you can't do anymore, that's a problem. Right. So I think they have to worry about it now. I think, you know, right now Oracle is having conversations with people and not sending the audit letter. It's only a matter of time. Right. Unless this unless they turn over their customer base from this free version to this paid version relatively quickly. Um, the, the, the official audit letters will eventually come is, you know, what I'm thinking. It just matches what Oracle's done in every other line of business that they've had. And then how can people reduce their risk of a Java audit? Well, the first thing is getting educated, uh, is really understanding what the rules are, what the policies are, um, sort of having that base knowledge, and then understanding how you're using it. 
Um, and, and this next part, I think, is, again, a little different than uh, or a little easier than the database products is understanding what your options are, alternatives, and not just options in terms of licensing from Oracle, but options in terms of Java products that are not Oracle, open source Java, open JDK, things like that. Um, again, I mentioned AWS or if it's Red Hat or whoever who has versions of, of these products that you can use. Um, we had one client when we were talking to them about this, it, their words, not mine, they said, you know, Java is the cockroach of the internet. It's just everywhere. So that's, that's going to be the problem is you've got Java everywhere. I mean, even at Palisade, we actually looked at Oracle's policies to determine, you know, did we have a problem? Were we using things um, in a way that uh, we now had to pay for or, um, you know, um, pay for support or get a license? So small little companies like us up to the biggest, you know, Fortune 10 companies, they all need to be looking at this. And then this whole general audit-based, you know, revenue optimization, revenue, you know, increase strategy. How long can Oracle do this? And do you think it's a, having any lasting damage to their business? I mean, you know, one sign of, of damage we've seen is in the way that Oracle has not been a preferred vendor. It's, it's usually close to the bottom of lists of vendors that people uh, want to do business with or seek to increase their business with. Um, is, is this audit, you know, aggressiveness having any damage to their, on their business? I don't think it is. I, I think there is a reputational problem. Um, you, you've mentioned that Oracle is often at the bottom of the list of preferred vendors because of these types of things, maybe not because of the technology, but because of their behavior. And we've seen that with cloud. Like I think one of the reasons why Oracle cloud is uh, not performing where they would want it to is because customers are very hesitant to trust Oracle. You know, if, if you have Oracle on-prem, on-premise in a traditional deployment, and Oracle audits you, you, know, they have, you have to give Oracle information for them to make a determination. If you're using Oracle's cloud, all of a sudden your data is all with Oracle. And it comes down, do you trust them? Do you trust that they're gonna treat you differently than they treated you before? Uh, so your question of how long are they gonna do it, I think they're gonna ride that wave as long as they can. Uh, and, and when you hear Larry talking about the future of Oracle, he's always talking about, he actually always goes back to the database. Even for cloud, he talks about Oracle's technology and how it's better than AWS or Microsoft or IBM. He doesn't say their cloud is better. He says their database is better. So everything they do, and they've done for the last 30 years, has been to lock customers into their database. And, and with, with Java, it's a little different, right? You, you can't lock in a Java user based on Oracle's use of, of based on your use of Oracle databases. Two separate product groups. Um, so I, I, I would, um, I, that's why I think Oracle is sort of hedging its bets with, with Java audits and not going in there, just like we haven't seen Oracle do too many audits of their cloud, right? It's not like we've seen customers use Oracle's cloud and then get audited on Oracle's cloud. It's, it's too soon. Give it 10 years, give it five years when you're stuck in Oracle's ecosystem and Oracle needs money, then they'll start auditing you for cloud. But right now, there's so much buzz going on around Java, they don't have to audit. There's just Let's have a, you know, if I'm the Oracle rep, I'm going to my client saying, let's have a conversation. Do you want to run an unsupported version that could have big security holes or do you want patches and updates? It's a very easy conversation if you're an Oracle rep. You don't have to go to the threat of audit at this point. Got it. Well, 
Craig, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and find out more about what Oracle's up to and how they're running their uh, audit bargain close process. Uh, thanks for illuminating us today about uh, what's going on with Java. And this is, as I said before, the first podcast in our uh, Escape Hatch from Oracle series. And I'm really happy that you were able to join us. Well, thank you for having me.